Thank you for joining us online. We're taking a pause from our series through the book of Exodus and starting a new series titled Steadfast, Gospel Faith in Turbulent Times. In light of our um, yeah, worship venue uh, switch and having to suspend our services, we felt like uh, this is a great opportunity to speak into uh, our context, our circumstances uh, with the truth and beauty of the gospel. Today's word comes from one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, uh, Psalm 46. This is the psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And Charles Spurgeon once said, When it is very dark with us, let brave spirits say, Come, let us sing the 46th psalm. So please turn there in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 46. And trusting that you're there, May God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen. This psalm is divided into three stanzas, each separated by the Hebrew word Selah, which indicates a musical and a poetic pause. And as we unpack this psalm, I hope that we too would take time to pause and reflect upon, God, upon God's beautiful truths for us today. And following these three stanzas, we're going to look at three things, three concepts in our message today. The first is the source of refuge, our source of refuge. Second, we're going to look at the promise of refuge. And finally, the invitation to refuge. And so the source, the promise, and the invitation to refuge. Well, uh, this week as it rained, I kept finding myself in situations without an umbrella without an umbrella. And so whether it was here at church or trying to get to the grocery store, I never seemed to have my umbrella. So I did what most people do. I just put my hand over my head and hurried to my destination. And depending on how hard it was raining, uh, I either walked or I jogged or ran looking for refuge from the rain. So the harder it rained, the faster I ran. And if you've ever seen any movies uh, with themes of war, tornadoes, uh, even zombies or any kind of destruction, you've seen people on the run, running for their lives, running from their enemies, running from danger, running from evil. And while they're running, they're always looking for refuge. They're looking for refuge. They're looking for safety and a fortress that can protect them. Well, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. Uh, the coronavirus has been declared a global pandemic. The stock market has plummeted. Schools and major events are being suspended and closing down, and everyone is looking for refuge. Many are trying to find it in toilet paper and face masks. Uh, many are seeking it 
in the security of their own homes. Many are looking to the CDC and our government to protect us. But the Bible reminds us today that true refuge is found in not a thing. True refuge is not found in an institution. It's found in a person. Refuge is found in a person. Verse 1 tells us that God is our refuge. He is our strength, a very present help in trouble. This is the first and best word for us today. It is the first and best word for us today. It's a clear reminder of who God is as our source of refuge and what he does as a very present help in our trouble. But here's the thing about refuge. Here's the thing about fortresses or a safe safe haven. It's not enough just to see it. It's not enough just to look at it and admire it. It's not enough just to need it and cry out for help and to cry out for refuge. You have to get into it. You've got to enter in. You have to get under the shelter to be covered from the storm. You've got to get behind the walls of the fortress to be protected from your enemies. Well, Charles Spurgeon writes this. He writes this on this passage. Forget not the personal possessive word, our. Don't forget that. Make sure that he is your portion so that you may say he is my refuge and he is my strength. In the midst of trials, God must be tried. In the midst of trials, God must be proved by his people. I just loved that quote and that challenge. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of this season, can you honestly say, can you say that you are trying God, that you are trying his ways, just like you might try a recipe for a meal at home, or just like you might try uh, um, a treatment for your help, okay? You don't just read the recipe and think about it. You actually go through the steps to cook that and eat it and experience it. Friends, are you trying God as your refuge and your strength? And the way we enter into the refuge of God is not by works, not by performance, but it's by faith alone. The way to make God your God, the way to experience him and all that he has to offer is by trusting him, by hearing his promises, by taking hold of them in our hearts and then walking in them by faith. This is what it means to try God through our trials. And for those who trust in God, there is a great therefore in our passage today. There is a great consequence for us. And verse 2 declares, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We will not fear. We do not fear. The psalmist is describing a picture of utter chaos, earthquakes shaking, Oceans roaring and mountains crumbling. These troubles are real. These troubles are dreadful. They are experienced. I read an article this week on how to pastor people through anxious times. How do we pastor people through these difficult and fearful times? And one thing that the article said was, don't tell people that it's going to be okay. Don't tell people that everything's going to be okay. And that was actually kind of surprising for me. It was surprising because it's such a common phrase. Everything's going to be okay. And we actually like hearing that. We like hearing that from our parents. 
We like hearing that from our leaders, our pastors, our friends and mentors, that everything's going to be okay. But the author of that article was just being honest. In this season, many will get sick. In this season, some may pass. Businesses may close. Opportunities will be lost. Hearts will ache. And so, just to simply say everything is going to be okay, right? uh, that's a romantic and an unrealistic phrase. But the beautiful truth for us is this. God is absolutely present with us in our trouble. He's not just waiting for us to get out. He's not just waiting for the storm to pass and then he's going to take care of us and bless us and help us. God is with us in the trouble. He's with us in the midst of the storm. And because he is with us, we are not held captive by fear. This is what it means to be a courageous and steadfast Christian. Not that we are dismissive of trouble. To be Christian doesn't mean that we are suddenly immune to trouble because we are now the sons and daughters, the people, the children of God. No, we draw strength from the fact that God walks with us through our troubles in the midst of our troubles. If I'm ever lost in the woods, I'm going to want more than just everything's going to be okay. Right? I'm going to want more than that. If I'm ever lost in the woods, I'm going to want more than just a bunch of fancy tools and equipment. I would rather have a guide, an experienced guide who knows what they are doing, who is able to lead me out. True refuge is in a person. And that refuge and our refuge is in God. Let's move to our second point, the promise of refuge. In verse 4, we have this dramatic shift where the roaring waters turn into the streams of God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And with this shift, the psalmist is calling us to lift our eyes off of our present troubles and upward to the city of God. Have you heard people recently saying, you know, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective and, and remaining positive. Now, there is a grain of truth to this statement. I do believe the stock market will rebound. I do believe that Disneyland and the schools will open. I'll let you decide which is more important, Disneyland or, or schools opening. Um, and eventually we're going to see, right? I do believe we're going to see the spread of the coronavirus flatten and decline like every other virus and every other epidemic in human history. But brothers and sisters, our gladness, our joy, our security doesn't come from the promise of just a better tomorrow, a better second quarter of this year, or a better next year. Our gladness comes from the river of God that gives us life. Our security comes from the fact that we don't belong or that, that we do belong to the city of God. And what is beautiful about God's city is that it is his holy habitation. He doesn't just design it. God doesn't just build his city, but he resides within it. Just like the tabernacle in the wilderness. And verse 5 reminds us, God is in the midst of her, of his city, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And friends, this is a promise. This is a promise that you and I can take hold of today. It's not just a promise that gives us peace after we die and go to heaven. The promise is for us today. 
Jesus, in the book of John, in chapter 7, verse 38, he tells us this. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart, out of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Well, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this river of living water. And for all who believe in Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in the midst of us. He's inside of us. He gives us strength. He gives us life. And this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians writes that the body, our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. And because of this reality, God's people are not moved. Because of this reality, we are not moved. Though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, God utters his voice and the earth melts. To me, that is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Psalms. This is a reminder of just the sheer power and authority of God. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Nations may rage, our kingdoms may totter, but God is still on his throne. He's still on his throne. He's still sovereign over all. We get a glimpse of his authority. We get a glimpse of his power in the gospel of Mark. In chapter 4, where Jesus is asleep in a boat with his disciples. And as they're traveling across the sea, a storm comes down upon them. And the waters are crashing up against the boat. The ocean is raging and the, and the disciples are afraid for their very lives. And so these disciples, they wake Jesus up. They wake up the sleeping king and um, they cry out. Do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, do you not care? We are about to drown. This boat is about to capsize. Do you not care? Jesus arises. He rebukes the sea and he commands peace. Peace be still. And there was a great calm. And Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Brothers and sisters, this is our God. This is our refuge, who by the authority of his word calms the storm. We may be tempted to ask God the very same words that the disciples asked Jesus. God, do you not care? Do you not see all of our suffering? Do you not see all of our pain, all of the danger that we are in? Are you even there, God? We think this, we feel this, we may even pray this. But the answer is always yes. He does care. Yes, he does see. And his promise is found in verse 7 of our passage. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, friends, we may ask God, do you not care? But do you know what he's going to ask us? He's going to ask, beloved, do you not believe? Do you not believe? This leads us to our last point, the invitation to refuge. Our passage closes with two beautiful invitations. The first is this, come behold the works of the Lord. And the second is this, be still and know that I am God. Come and behold the works of God and then be still and know that I am God. And in this invitation, we see two things. First, we are invited 
to look to the past, to look to the past for evidence of grace. The second is to look to the future for promises of glory. So all of God's people in the midst of trials, in the midst of storm, God is telling us, look to the past and all that he has done. And then look to the future and all of the glory that is promised unto us. We often say in our culture that trust, because that's the essence of faith, right? It's trust. Trust is not given, it's earned. Trust is not given, it's earned. You've got to earn our trust. And, And what that means is that your track record matters. What you've done in the past matters. And so if somebody you know gives you bad advice, whether it's financial, whether it's parenting or dating advice, especially dating advice, uh, if they give you bad advice, what do you do the next time they offer it? Do you listen? No, you ignore it. You might even do the opposite. You might even do the opposite because their advice giving is so bad. And that's all based on their history, their track record. If somebody cooks a fantastic meal for you, the next time they invite you over, you look forward to it. You say, absolutely, I will make time to go and eat at your table. If they invite you to a bad meal, you're going to find an excuse not to attend. Well, brothers and sisters, we are invited first to remember God's track record, to behold his works, to remember how God has delivered his people out of Egypt, how he led his people through the wilderness, how the walls of Jericho fell, how Goliath was slain, how Israel returned home to the promised land after exile, how Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, how the church has always prevailed, though the gates of hell have raged against her. We are called to remember how each and every one of us, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, how we have been accepted and adopted into the family of God, not by our works, but by grace, not by our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is what God has done. That's what God has done for his people. That is what God has done for us. Come behold the works of the Lord. And as you remember all that God has done, we are then invited to be still and know that he is God. Just as he has been faithful in the past, he will surely be faithful with our future. He will be exalted among the nations, and he will be exalted in the earth. Right now, our Discipleship 201 class, uh, we're learning. We're learning about the glory of God. And we're learning that God's glory and our good are married into one reality. The glory of God and the good of his people are not in opposition They are not mutually exclusive. In fact, we find our greatest good in his glory, that his name will be exalted among the nations, that his name will be exalted in the earth. And as John Piper famously writes, God is most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in him. God's glory are good. They are married together. And so when God promises that he will be exalted That is good news for us. We are reminded that nothing can frustrate the plans of God. Even even the things that we intend for evil, even the things that people on this earth and in our lives intend for harm, God is able to use for good. We We may not fully understand the means or how God accomplishes this, but we are called to believe and we're called to find our assurance in him. Tim Keller makes the following comment on on this psalm. 
He writes, no matter how bleak the prospects seem or how overwhelming the opposition, the city of God cannot be harmed, but can only triumph. Why? Because that reality and that community are found in God himself. The city of God cannot be jeopardized. It cannot be defeated because it's found, because it's found, it's rooted in God himself. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. This is why it's so beautiful for us. Because through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are united to God. We are united to him, grafted into Christ, the true vine. We are not only brought into his family, we're not only ushered into his kingdom, into his city. No, there's more. He resides within us through the Holy Spirit. We experience true union with him. And all of this is received by faith. All of this is received as we look to him and trust in him. Brothers and sisters, just as God has been faithful to us in the past, would you be faithful to him? Uh, would you trust him to be faithful to us? In the future. Let me say that again. Brothers and sisters, just as God has been faithful to us in the past, will you trust him to be faithful to us in the future? Will you trust him to be faithful to you today, in this season, in our climate right now? Let us behold his works. Let us be still and know that he is God. And as we do, may we enjoy him as our refuge and as our strength. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our strength and our refuge. We thank you for you, for you give us such beautiful promises found in your scripture and realized in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a God who is for us and not against us. And we thank you that you are a God who doesn't just give us gifts, who doesn't just offer us resources. God, you offer us yourself. And I pray that, that through this season, that that reality um, would be more and more experienced in our lives. Would we experience your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, giving us comfort, giving us rest, giving us boldness and courage, from making true and real and beautiful and, and um, good all of your promises, all of your truths. Father, I pray, God, that you would continue to bless and lead our church through these difficult seasons. And would you receive all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.